This evening I'd like to speak about the process of coming back to life. One of the primary elements of what it means to be a human being is that we are, I would say, remarkably sensitive. We come into this world as a newborn baby, incredibly soft and probably kind of pink, or maybe not necessarily, but uh, with that quality of, uh, of real tenderness, vulnerability and openness. Actually, we may come in any range of colours, but uh, that, that sense of arriving into this world is one in which we are extremely exposed, it would seem, to the world around us. And the experience that uh, follows from that, uh, from that point until this point and beyond, I would suggest, is one in which our sensitivity is impinged upon, is impacted, is touched, is sometimes more than touched, but pushed, poked, prodded. And this takes place at a physical level in which our very skin and the territory of our body is exposed to any number and range of uh, uncomfortable contacts, which may just simply begin with the, uh, the first contact of the first towel we encounter when we're very, very small, newborn. So, of course, the more abrasive things that we encounter when uh, going through life. And our physical body is actually a very sensitive and very well-equipped organ to register the contact with the world around us. Likewise, our heart, the capacity we have for feeling, reflects and mirrors that capacity of our body for sensation and the range of different experiences that we can be exposed to that can touch us, that can move us, that can make us feel both remarkable depths of sweetness and enjoyment and equally at times incredible and often it seems unbearable degrees of discomfort or pain at both the physical and the emotional level, these are things that we encounter in life. And this is, I would suggest, a profound challenge to us. How do we live? How do we engage? How do we inhabit a life, a body, a heart, equally a mind, that is impacted, that is impinged upon, that is affected by so many different conditions and a significant number of which being difficult, painful or uncomfortable to us. One of the things that perhaps we're quite well aware of and if not already then probably not already before coming to the retreat then probably Certainly since we've been here, we will have encountered some expressions and also some of the results of one of our primary mechanisms, unconscious mechanisms for responding to this sensitivity that we have in the context of a world that impacts upon us. Because often the way of coping or dealing with this circumstance, this reality, is actually to become less sensitive, to actually become less attuned, less in touch, less open, less vulnerable, less able in the end to feel, and therefore less subject to being touched by the world around us, by others, other people, and even eventually by ourselves. It can seem as a response to feeling that perhaps 
it's too much to bear to be human, to be alive, to be sensory or to be a sensate being the in contact with sensation is too much it seems for us and perhaps at times we've been overwhelmed with the intensity of that contact and therefore we've learned to become less sensitive to be less affected by life in this process of seeking to protect ourselves from the intensity of contact what can happen is that we actually begin to become numb we actually lose contact not intentionally but nonetheless not entirely accidentally either it's a a process of unconscious reaction that happens where we begin to harden we begin to tighten we begin to solidify we can notice it in our bodies and uh, I suspect for many of you at times on this retreat <coughs> what you've encountered are places of hardness or tightness or solidification in the actual texture of the body that you're experiencing and this is often quite difficult quite uncomfortable quite painful to us we don't enjoy that experience Sometimes we have sensations in our throat and uh, <laughs> we'd wish to be less sensitive but uh, we don't have a choice about that. Of course if we tighten we might be able to get by without having to respond. And I could notice just in the sense of wanting to kind of just shut that particular tickle down but of course it was having its way rather than mine. And uh, this happens in so many ways we encounter places of hardness, of solidity where we notice what contraction does when we react against an experience when we resist what's occurring we actually find ourselves contracting, tightening, hardening we can feel it physically happen perhaps you've noticed it at times in the day we also find that when that condition of contraction or hardness becomes habituated established in our repertoire of ways of dealing with life that it goes beyond simply a hardness or a tightness to actually a numbness where we don't feel at all where areas of our body aren't really accessible to us equally areas of our heart and this happens not we don't decide oh I think I'll uh, cut myself off from the difficult parts of my life oh, we might occasionally but mostly I don't think we realise we're doing it I think it happens it's a reaction and although it happens as a defence as a protection for us the effect of it the outcome the result of this process when we're not aware of it is that we stop feeling our life we stop feeling alive we stop we lose the um, the vitality and the the nourishment actually that comes from being in contact with the vitality and the vibrancy and equally at times the intensity and the uncontrollability of our experience there's something safer about being numb or disconnected it appears it feels like there's something defensive or usefully defending about hardness about rigidity as though we're protected by it but what happens when that's our experience is that there's a loss of the you could say the vital juice of life and our experience stops having the sparkle the brightness or the depth of nourishment that it can offer we stop receiving them 
And what tends to happen when that's the case is, of course, we start looking for something to give us satisfaction. We start seeking for particular experiences to make us feel better. But when we're not deeply in touch with ourselves, no matter what the experience is, it won't touch us to that depth. It can't. And so it's inevitably unsatisfying. And we seek for it further and more and more for experience the contact. And what happens, and we can see it in the culture, is that the level of intensity of sensation that needs to be delivered to get a response increases. Don't know if you've noticed how much louder movies and television have got on the movies, how loud a gunshot is compared to 10 years ago or 20. It's much louder because culturally we're becoming less sensitive and individually we may or may not be part of that process. The practice of meditation is one in which we might wish to immediately discover ourselves having sat down, crossed our legs and been mindful of a few breaths immediately discover ourselves in some place of warm, sweet, light, brilliant, free, peaceful, connected bliss. Um, if we could do that, um, we probably all would. And that would probably make a pretty good uh, advertisement blurb on the brochure as well. This we can give you within five minutes. People would be queuing up at the door. But of course, as you all know, that's not how it is. That's not what happens. When we come into practice, what we actually encounter is that it's really hard to connect and inhabit our life. To connect with and inhabit our experience. We keep, it seems, that bouncing off, as it were. We, we keep coming in and then somehow we go off. And it looks like we just went off. We don't know why we went off. We just went off. It keeps happening. I just went off. Sorry, it's not my fault. Sure, it's not. But, it's like we kind of aren't quite touching in, and therefore we bounce off. And the process of meditation, by keeping on coming back in, by no matter how many times we bounce off, or we are deflected <coughs> by the habitual rigidity and solidity and sort of uh, the desensitization that has happened, so that when we touch, our self, our experience, it doesn't move us. It's just hmm, kind of boring. It's not as engaging as a juicy factor, for instance. If we keep coming back in, into contact with, again and again, this experience, the, the very quality of attention that does this, that comes back, it actually begins to soften the hardness, the rigidity, the numbness, that which we were previously unable to feel starts to present itself as something we can feel. Even if all we feel to begin with is that oh, this area doesn't feel like much at all, but at least we know it's there. Or areas that we didn't actually find had any softness or fluidity to them start to actually express some motion, there's some change. We notice things moving within them. You may have experienced this with an area of discomfort in your body. If you actually bring a gentle attention to what feels like a solid block of pain or discomfort and just explore it in a friendly and gentle way, what you'll tend to notice is it actually isn't solid. That's just our first impression. And that's often associated with some degree of reacting against it or hardening against feeling it, not wanting to feel it. But when we're willing to feel it, it actually softens and we start to notice its fluidity, its nature is not solid. Well, this can actually really be useful when we're working with learning to be with difficult or painful experience. Whether we wish it or not, and sometimes we might not actually really want this to happen, the process of meditation is like a tenderizing process. We cannot continue to defend those places of hardness, of rigidity, or of just what might be like just no-go territory. We, we just don't go there. You know, that part of my body, I leave it to itself, or this part of my emotional landscape, I just 
don't go there. That kind of concept of don't go there is a, a little bit of a giveaway actually, suggesting, oh, we've, we've really made ourselves an alien in our own territory by saying that. We've actually lost contact with a part of our life, our heart, our body, by choosing, consciously or unconsciously, to not include it, to not be willing to feel it, even though it may be really challenging to do so. Tenderizing is an interesting word. Tenderizing. We might wonder, do I wish to become more tender? You know? Sounds like it may have some benefits, but on the other hand, I'm not really sure about that, you know? That sounds like kind of vulnerable. That sounds like kind of not very tough, not very strong. Um, And yet, as an aspect of our practice, this is inevitably part of it. And it's like in consciously inhabiting our body, our heart, our mind, our experience, keeping on, coming back, feeling it, being with it, engaging it. It's like there's a moistening of that which may be dry or hard or rigid. It's like there's a moistening in which it softens, in which it becomes fluid. And what we actually notice as it happens is that a sense of distance that previously occurred between myself and that experience and part of my body where was over there and I didn't like it or some part of my heart which or some aspect to my feeling which I maybe anger or grief or sadness or confusion or jealousy or rage any number of different experiences that we don't really go there I don't go there what we notice as we begin to soften is actually in allowing what is here to be here and allowing ourselves to be here the sense of gap that appears whenever we don't go there starts to actually dissolve. And the sense of being separate from our life begins to heal. So meditation practice is not actually about escaping our life or what we call ourself or our experience. We're actually going deeper into entering wholeheartedly and unconditionally into our life, our heart, our body. Despite the fact that that may be quite a tender process at times for us. Because what we understand, what practice reveals, and sometimes this is a a lesson that is not an easy one to learn, but nonetheless one of the most important is that the defendedness that we create, the rigidity, the the no-go territory or the sense of hardness that we can feel in our body sometimes is is like a a solidified quality, a defended quality. And equally we can notice that our mind actually, our mind tends to rigidify equally when we get caught in very strong views and opinions and positions. Notice the mind actually becomes very inflexible the defense mechanism. It doesn't bend, it will not acknowledge a different viewpoint. It can't see beyond its own take on things. Again, that's a defense mechanism in which the mind's fluidity is lost. And we can actually notice it sometimes, how fixed a mental structure seems, how fixed a pattern of thinking seems. It goes round and round and round. And we, there's just no chinks in the armor. It's like solid. And at some level, there's the again, often unconscious or unintentional, although it's still nonetheless volitional. It's not that we make an intention to do this, but it's not accidental either. It is volitional. In that process of, you could say, building walls or defences or armour, in order to protect ourselves, what we actually end up doing is imprisoning ourselves. We imprison ourselves. Within a, you think about it. What, 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 is, what is the difference between um, defense and imprisonment in that way. If you're inside a suit of armor, you are protected from something coming in, but that includes being protected from a kiss, it's from an arrow, from the smell of a flower, it's from the sight of a enemy. And there's this 
the sense that uh, we become imprisoned in our in the effect of an unwillingness to feel. It's kind of sad, really. To become imprisoned in the effect of our unwillingness to feel. Some years ago I was teaching a retreat in America at the Inside Meditation Society and uh, walking through a path near the near the pond. I saw on the path, two or three paces in front of me, a large snake. And I stopped. Absolutely. But we don't have snakes in New Zealand where I come from. And this was, you know, ah. And it was, it was very interesting also just that, you know, the whole body becomes instantly rigid. And then I just, okay, it's not moving, I can breathe. I'm just looking at it, snake, wow. Still not moving, so taking, it's also kind of interesting, you know. So taking a step, getting a little close, still not moving. Another step, and actually, oh, it's a snake skin. It's the skin of a snake. Full size, this big, crossing the path. I thought, well, first of all, I thought, Phew. Um, But then I thought, wow, snake had to get out of that skin. Why did it do that? And then, it's it's reasonably apparent. Imagine you all know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, snake has a um, those scales of its armour. It protects it, keeps it safe. But it's limited. It can't grow. It doesn't stretch. It's hard and strong, but because of that, it doesn't stretch. And in order for a snake to grow, it has to shed its skin. It has to peel its way out of this tightly fitting suit of armour and grow another one. And of course it occurred to me that that must be a really painful and difficult thing to do. And when it comes out of that skin, it has to come out, I don't know if it's coming out all sort of tender and juicy and pink or whatever colour snakes are on the inside, I don't know. Um, maybe not quite that, but on the other hand it can't come out with a fully formed rigid um, skin on because that wouldn't be any bigger than the other one. Presumably it has to come out vulnerable or die. It has to go through this process of stripping its skin, and I think they do it every year, in order to grow, in order to live, or else it will die. And just reflecting and contemplating on that, that snake and its skin and that process, it really, I really felt the sense of, gosh, yeah, that's a bit like meditation. There's a way in which we start to encounter the shells or the skins of structures we have created that maybe had a purpose. Maybe it was really important that we had that defensiveness. Maybe we need to protect ourselves at some time in our life. But when it's become solidified, habitualized, it actually becomes a limitation on our capacity to grow and a bondage from which our aspiration for freedom seeks us to find the way of release. So what often happens when we encounter places where we feel stuck, where it's difficult, or it's painful? We tend to, often it seems I think, find ourselves reflecting on how we came to be here. We see how we close down to others, to ourselves, to our experience, how we withdraw, how we tighten, how we harden. And often within that there's a sense of blaming, a sense of judging and blaming oneself, another person, or the world, or any other combination of people, situations that somehow this has been done to me, that somehow my difficulty, my suffering has been done to me in a way that is actually really painful. And it must be someone's fault or something's fault. And therefore in the rejecting of it, in the blaming, we can often be incredibly hard to ourselves and we can equally be really hard to other people. 
And we get drawn into the story about why this happened, what we have to do, how we have to fix it, what the cause of it is, what the result, resolution of it will be. And yet the story that goes with it also doesn't provide us any relief or escape. In fact, in thinking about how we came to be here, well, there's sometimes really some value in understanding or reflecting upon what was the situation, what did actually occur. If we know, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes that's useful. There's a place for that. But it can also be that it just becomes a cycle of trying to somehow escape the experience. That we're running through the story is somehow as though somehow by running through it we'll find an escape route. We'll find what we needed to change, what should have been different that it didn't happen this way, or what I can do in the future that will prevent it being this way. And it's actually rather than a genuine inquiry or investigation into the conditions of this experience, how it came to be, it's actually an expression of our resistance and aversion to its being with us. That the story of the difficult feeling or condition we find ourselves in is often the way in which our mind is trying to escape. Of course it can't. Where's it going to go? But that's kind of what it's doing. So what we encourage and what we suggest is that you actually acknowledge when we are in that situation where I might be blaming someone they did this or blaming myself I shouldn't have done that for what happened, for what was painful, for what was difficult. And of course you know, there are so many different situations we could apply that view to that we did something wrong, that they did something wrong. But to actually step out of that story because that story has the effect of distancing. Not to say we can't learn from those reflections. They have that as their place. But when it's coming out of a, a mechanism or a reaction inside that says, I don't want to be here, then what we're actually asked to do is to acknowledge that this is where we are. This is what's happening. This is the experience of this moment. And to actually be with it, to come into the body to know <coughs> what, what does it feel like? Where do I feel it? Notice, is it, oh, it's tightness in my shoulder. Or it's a clenching in my belly. Or it's a, a sort of a, a vibration in my arm. Or a pressure in my head, or any number of things it can be. When I notice, oh, what's that like? What's it like to feel that? What's it like to be with it? So that rather than trying to escape from or fix the place we find ourselves in, we're actually coming into contact with it. We're allowing ourselves to feel it. We're actually coming back to the aliveness that it, it is expressing. Rather than somehow trying to reorganize or change it into something else. And in this process to allow the attention to be really gentle, to be friendly. We tend to easily be kind of coercive or put pressure on ourselves or our experience. Out of the sense of wanting to get rid of out of the sense of not wanting to experience it. And it requires a lot of gentleness, a lot of kindness, a lot of compassion towards ourselves and our experience to just let ourselves feel in our body what it's like to be here, to be with the experience. And in this, we think often about letting go, and we think that if I let go, it should go away. That's not often how it is. Actually, letting go in this context means letting go of our desire for it to go away. Letting go of our resistance to its presence. And a much more useful phrase, which expresses exactly the same inner movement as in the context of something difficult, to let it be. Let it be. And to be in contact with it. Meet it. Touch it. Be touched by it. Because if we don't do that, and it takes courage, and it takes love to do it, care. But if we don't do that, what actually happens is we find ourselves more and more out of touch. And more and more living in our minds. 
slipping in our hands, living in the story, one or more steps removed from where we actually are. There's a certain kind of, I don't know if it's irony or something like something like that about the relationship to our body that many of us have. It's like it's actually quite difficult to be in our bodies often because they're uncomfortable. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. You know, just sitting around on a relatively soft cushion, they get uncomfortable. When thoughts and feelings go whizzing through our minds, our body's often uncomfortable. It's uh, hard to be in our body, and partly because we don't really want to be, we tend to go off into our thinking. Often the movement into the thought is the attempt to escape from our bodily experience. But in our head, of course, it can become really quite painful to be locked in there as well. We notice how unsatisfactory it is to live just in the realm of the conceptual mind, its frantic busyness, its desperate desires, and its random and unstoppable anxiety. When we actually allow ourselves to feel what's difficult, to be with what's painful in our hearts, our bodies, our lives, and actually come in to inhabit them, it actually becomes a very nourishing place to live our life from. What is initially difficult becomes, through the process of consciously inhabiting it, actually the place of deep refuge, the place where we can actually be at home. To see how hard it is to turn towards that which we fear, that which we are afraid will overwhelm us, which we, will, we are afraid we will become lost in or dominated by. Because this is the reason we move away, we pull away. Believing in that. Yet if we actually allow ourselves to touch something, to come gently towards our experience, if we do it gently and allow the process to be organic, don't try and push or force what's happening, there's always a place where we can meet it. Maybe it's not too close to begin with. Maybe it's a little bit of distance or space that we need. If we're feeling something really strong or intense, rather than jumping headfirst into the middle of it and finding it way too hot and moments later we've sort of departed, you know, as it were, screaming for somewhere else, um, just come a little closer. Like if there's a fire, you don't, as I said to a couple of people today in interviews, if there's something hot, you don't just stick your hand into the middle of it. You just move your hand gently towards it to notice, where's the heat? Okay, I can be this place. Often if we do that, then we'll find we can relax. It's not so scary. We can be in contact with it without having to be threatened by it. And then as we relax, it actually becomes more accessible. We can begin to explore. We can begin to feel into and come to know it directly. So much fear we can have of experience. But when we actually encounter the experience we were afraid of, it's almost never that bad as we thought. In fact, Mark Twain once said rather, I think, remarkably, um, he once commented, almost all of the worst experiences of my life never actually happened. <laughs> it's the worrying about that it might happen, what it'll be like when it happens. This becomes the worst experience of our life. If we don't understand that, we enact it. And we enact it by trying to avoid the experience. By not feeling, by withdrawing, by blaming someone or something. We intensify that sense of distance and disconnection which is actually the deeper suffering 
in the situation. That something is painful or threatening or potentially overwhelming to us is difficult. There is no doubt. Something that's not easy to bear. But what is more painful, what causes the deeper suffering, is when we disconnect from our life. But so far as those two things always happen together, we don't have any space to see that they are not bound to happen together. If we always disconnect in the presence of the painful, then we come to think of the painful as being the disconnection, but it's not. It's simply the painful. The disconnection is something else. And while we cannot have a life in which pain is absent, we can learn to unlearn the process of disconnection so that we actually stay in touch with our life. One of the reasons we disconnect, or one of the basis for how it happens, is the sense of it somehow not being fair. Somehow it's been done to me. What, what have I done to deserve this? I'm basically nice. I'm sure all of you think of yourself as, you know, basically well-intentioned, you know, and doing one's best, of course not perfectly, far from it, but, you know, doing one's best. And yet things happen to us, or have happened to us, or might happen to us, but really we wouldn't wish upon ourselves or anyone else. It can lead to a lot of anger, a lot of judgment, a lot of blaming, and again, a hardness. Yet one of the things we notice is that maybe it's not just happening to me. One of the most useful things that sometimes people, and quite frequently people, report in the group interview is the sense of what happens when they hear someone else describing something that was very much like their own experience. And how suddenly something that was really difficult is more manageable, or possibly even okay. Or maybe even good news, because now it makes me feel connected, even though it was really difficult. I'm now connected with someone else who's having the same experience. And there's something nice about that. Which is kind of remarkable. You know that old saying, misery loves company. I think there's a certain sort of genuine validity in in the truth, or a truth, not that one miserable person wants other people to be miserable, which is often the way it's portrayed, but that actually the difficult thing about pain or suffering is that we feel isolated isolated in it. And it's the isolation that we can address most powerfully and profoundly through practice. Because that isolation is based on a view that it's just happening to me. When in fact, that's not true. Talk to anyone. I talk to lots of people and I find pretty reliably that in one aspect or place of their life or another, people experience difficult, challenging and undesired circumstances. I have them in my life, I suspect you have them in yours. Although what happens for each of us is particular and unique, no one's experience is quite like yours or mine. No one. So in one way it just it is true, it's just just has happened to not everybody. But the overlying theme of our experiences is universal. And this is something the Buddha spoke about that we really need to understand. He spoke about with regards to the body. Do we experience birth, ageing, sickness and death? We all will go through this. We've gone through some of it already. We've got the rest to look forward to. Like, hmm, okay, next. And then he says, well, sure, next. He says that our hearts will be subject to sorrow, pain, grief, lamentation and despair. Think, hmm, doesn't sound like a good advertisement for following the Buddha's path. And yet, it's not suggesting that this is because we practice. It's because we're human beings. And the way I see it, it's like, yeah, of course our hearts will be touched with that which is painful and difficult. And I have a very simple formulation that, for me, expresses that. How it, you can't get around this, as far as I can see it. Um, in this life, if you love something, or someone, at some point you'll be part of someone. That's inevitable, by intention, accident, death. If you love something you'll be part of, or someone you'll be part of from, that will be hard to bear, that will not be easy, that will be tender and grievous, 
couldn't be other than that if one loved. Parting will be painful. If we don't love something in this world or someone, that will be painful. Don't see any other options really. So it's like acknowledging that. Oh, okay, so in the mixture of what life is, there's going to be some of this. And maybe this organ, our heart, maybe it's actually equipped to be able to have that experience. Maybe it can survive it even. Maybe we don't have to stop it happening. Because actually we can't. The only way we can, can do attempt to is actually something that takes us out of contact with the vitality of our, our life. And really, if we understood the choice, I don't think we'd make that choice. Not for a moment do I think we'd make that choice if we truly understood what it means to disconnect from our life. Of course, the Buddha also spoke about our mind being subject to the association with the dislike, separation from the like, and not getting what we want. It's a tough one when we don't get what we want. But it's like all this happens. This is part of our life. This is part of every life. And if this is so, if this is so, does it not make sense to include it rather than believe that somehow it's a mistake? And if we just got it right, if our parents had got it right, even more importantly, that it wouldn't have happened? But, you know, no one else had your parents. They still had some equivalent mixture of things. Understanding the universality of dukkha, of unsatisfaction, of being exposed to that which is difficult to bear. Understanding that, what we're asked to do is feel it, enter it, open to it. To reconnect with where we are is the process of coming back to life. And when we feel disconnection, what we need to actually do is feel that disconnection rather than think somehow I've got to feel connection. That's what I'm supposed to be doing now. Or if there's numbness, rather than trying to feel something that feels more vital or engaged or happening than numbness. No, actually numbness is what is there. Feel that. It's actually a feeling, numbness. Disconnection is actually an experience. And by meeting what's there, we actually come back into relationship. We're actually engaged again. And the process begins to move. To take the risk of feeling deeply into our life. is worth it. Because what I trust you will find as and when you do is that the fluidity of life re-emerges when we're willing to meet the places where we feel its absence. The vitality, the beauty, the nourishment, the sweetness of life is revealed and in our willingness to meet the places where it is not. By our very willingness to go there, to trust, to inhabit, to sense, to feel. The poem by Wendell Berry, I Go Amongst Trees, he writes, I go amongst trees and sit still. All my stirring becomes quiet around me, like circles on water. My tasks lie in their places where I left them, asleep like cattle. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. Then what I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me.
it sings and I hear its song. When we're willing to be in the presence of that which is threatening or scary. Particularly in the context of our inner work. What tends to happen, what we see, if we're not doing it to make it go away, because you can't do it to make it go away. This is actually one of the most important things we need to understand. As Ramdas once said, you can't be with it in order for it to go away, because it knows. And that's just a really more subtle form of aversion, isn't it? When we're being with it, what it means is that it's okay if it goes and it's okay if it stays. That's what being with it is. It is not demanding that it stay or go. When we can actually be with it in this way, that which appears threatening or fearful to us is revealed as perhaps not being so, certainly not in the way that we had imagined. The greater threat or danger it presents is that we close down in the face of it. This is the greater danger. And there are all the, the stories of you know, our mythology in which the, you know, the frog is transformed into the princess or the dragon is slain to rescue the princess. I don't want to get to be the princess. Sometimes the prince might want the dragon played to so they could be rescued as well. But anyway, the sense of facing that which is either, in the case of the frog, not particularly attractive or in the case of the dragon, rather scary and threatening, that the willingness to meet it. And I, I think of this, I, I see this in the, in the process of just meeting and feeling, experiencing that which seems stuck and solid. So many times people report that when they actually just feel it, it starts to soften or change. But only if you're doing it not with that wish. Because if you're doing it with the wish for it to soften or change, then it's actually pressure, it's rigidity. But when one just does it because one is interested, because this is my life, because this is all I have right here and now, this heart, body, mind, this moment, there isn't something else. When we start to see that change, we start to feel the fluidity again. There's something very uplifting of one's trust and confidence in life, in oneself, in one's experience. And there's also a, a sense of strength that is revealed, a, a quality of strength that's really different to the rigidity of defendedness, of hardness, of keeping things at bay, of not going there, of perhaps some great effort of will, force of mind. Because actually there's a quality of strength that is revealed in the permeability of our being, of our heart, that can allow what comes to come in quite confidently because it knows it can allow it to pass through and out. In the encounter between water and stone, and this takes place, and is taking place at this moment, all around the world, it is inevitably the stone that is worn away. Fluidity is actually more powerful than solidity, or rigidity rather than solidity, because actually that's a different quality. To be open to come back into the heart of our experience, to feel its aliveness, is to reconnect with something larger, something vaster. A couple of weeks ago I was teaching a course on um, a field on Dartmoor, not that many, 10-15 miles away from here. We were camping and practicing outdoors. And on one morning it was raining heavily and then the clouds cleared and a rainbow shone through. And it was very interesting because actually on different parts of our field it was raining here, it was almost sunny there, and in the midst of it all suddenly there was this rainbow. 
And it really struck me how when we can open our heart to both that which in this case was the rain, i.e. wasn't very pleasant, and that which was also quite lovely, the sunshine, what one actually sees is something remarkable. It's like a rainbow is a, a revelation of the nature of the space in which the weather is taking place. Hope this isn't too obscure. It's like we tend to focus a lot on the weather. We tend to notice it's raining or it's sunny. And yet when we can see without picking and choosing, when, when all the different aspects are present at once, and in this case we could talk about the, the lovely and the difficult, the beautiful and the scary, when we can actually hold space for them both in our life, it reveals something to us about the nature in which it's all held, about the nature of the, the field of life itself. So the invitation of our practice in this context is to have the courage and the trust to inhabit deeply even those places we would not wish to go. Trusting in them that they too are part of the wholeness of our life which can only be revealed when we are wholehearted in our willingness to meet it all to embrace the entirety. So long as we pick and choose, we are caught in fragmentation. As soon as we become unconditional in our willingness to meet, then the unconditionality of life is revealed. The wholeness and the vastness of life manifest. So let's sit quietly for a few moments, please. 